I'm glad you're here tonight, and we're glad to be here. And uh, we left a little early and stopped at Denny's and, and, ha and got a bite to eat. And just before we left, a couple came up to us, and I didn't know who they were. They said, we used to go to Greenwood Village back in 1970, and I was one of your bus captains. I said, really? Yeah, he said, I even taught, uh, I taught the, the children in children's church. And everywhere I go, I run into people that used to go to Greenwood Village. If they all came on the same Sunday, it'd be one of the biggest churches around. Really would. And we're glad to be here. And of course, after we had supper there, my wife said, uh, I forgot my lipstick. I got to have some lipstick to look, look a little better. And so we went to the drugstore and bought some lipstick. I tell you, when you get older, you forget everything. You just forget everything. But at least we worked it out, and I got her some lipstick. Yeah. And I'm so glad to see Brother and Sister Schrader here tonight. They're longtime friends, I tell you. I'm glad they could come. And others that are here, we're so glad you're here tonight. I want to preach tonight, the Lord willing, on the subject, the marks of a good church are the ingredients of a great church. And um, out of all the churches in the Bible, I've chosen the church at Antioch as a church that has all the ingredients of a great New Testament church, the church at Antioch in Syria. And let me show, let me read some of the verses that talk about it. Look at Acts chapter 11. And let's begin reading with verse 19, and we'll read through verse 30, Acts chapter 11, beginning with verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, and, and when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. 
And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit there should be great dearth throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And then I want you to look at Acts chapter 13, the first five verses. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas, Simeon, it's called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As a minister to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. Then look at Acts 14, verses 23 through 28. Acts 14, 23 through 28. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed throughout Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down unto Attilia, and thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. By way of introduction, let me say in the first place, uh, in Antioch it was almost a completely Gentile church. Thank God for that. That's what you are. You're a Gentile. Thank God he loved the Gentiles. And on the day of Pentecost, the word of God was preached to Jews only. People were there from foreign-born foreign -born Jews from other nations. They were there on the day of Pentecost. And the first nine chapters of the book of Acts are about the preaching of the gospel to the Jews only. And this gospel was almost 
to the Jews only until it was preached in the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. The headquarters were at Jerusalem. From Jerusalem, the word of God went out. And the main figure in the first part of the book of Acts was a man by the name of Simon Peter. He was a Jew and he was a great preacher. He was God's preacher on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 were saved. And there's a great turning point in the book of Acts about where our text is tonight. In chapter 10, Peter preaches the gospel to the Gentiles. And then the headquarters changes. It's not at Jerusalem now, but it's at a place called Antioch, which is in Syria. And it has to do not with the Jews, but with the Gentiles. And Peter, a Jew, is now no longer the central figure, but another Jew by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who was wonderfully saved on the road to Damascus, he becomes the apostle to the, Gentile, to, to the Gentiles. And he begins to operate in and out of this great church at Antioch in Syria. It was the first great Gentile church. And in the second place, it's the first time and the first place in the Bible where people were called Christians. Acts 11:26 and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. In fact, you find the word Christian only 3 times in the New Testament. You find it again in the book of Acts 26 verse 28 where an unsaved man said, "Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian." And then you find it for a third time in 1 Peter 4, verse 16, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. So in these three instances, you find that the Christian life is a changed life, a chosen life, and a challenging life. So you find the word Christian only three times in the Bible. The word Christian means one belonging to the Lord. So here's the first time in all the Bible that a person is called a Christian, and it was in that great church at Antioch in Syria. And then thirdly, it's more of a model church than the great church at Jerusalem where Pentecost took place because in this great church at Antioch, there was a tremendous emphasis on the grace of God. Acts 4 verse 23. Who when he came and had seen the grace of God. Was glad and exhorted them all. That with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. And so this church at Antioch. Is farther away from the day of Pentecost. Than, than any of the other churches in the book of Acts. But the church at Antioch is quite a ways from Jerusalem. It's a ways, it's a way time speaking. Uh, they were away from Pentecost, and yet the job was done, and thousands of people were saved in this great church at Antioch. Fourthly, it was a great church because it had great influence on other churches. People went out from that church, and souls were saved, and other churches started. 
had great influence on other churches. And I find at least seven or eight ingredients that make up a great church. They were found in the church it was at Antioch, Acts 13, verse 1. I want to give you the marks of a great church. Are you ready? That's my introduction. Every message has to have an introduction before you get to the first big point. I'm going to give you the marks of a great church in the Word of God. Here's the first one. It was a preaching church. When you read of this church, you read of the emphasis on preaching. Acts eleven nineteen. you read the expression, preaching the Word. Churches that are Bible churches must be churches that preach the Word. Preach the Word. Not the philosophies of men, not rose water essays that please the people, but not pretty platitudes, but preach the book of God. Here's a church preaching the Word, and it took place at the church at Antioch. I'll read another expression, Acts 11, verse 20, which says, Preaching the Lord Jesus. When they met together and one stood up to preach, he exalted and preached about the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ was a central theme of all the preaching in this church at Antioch. There must be preaching to have a great church. I read again in Acts 14, verse 25, And when they had preached the word... That's where this church put the emphasis. In order to have the ingredients of a Bible church, it must first of all be a preaching church. What did Jesus say? He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16, verse 15. 1 Corinthians 1, 21. Please God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Amen. God puts the emphasis on preaching the Word of God. There are some churches tonight that don't want any preaching anymore. Some churches want some kind of ritual or some kind of music that doesn't belong in the local church or some kind of drama. You notice that. They don't want much preaching. Some say to the preacher, now don't preach over 15 minutes because you cannot keep people's attention over 15 minutes. That's not true. You say, well, an educator said it. Well, I don't care if he did. I've seen people listen to a sermon for over an hour and never move a muscle. Hallelujah. People look at television for two hours and never get up to get a drink of water. Don't tell me the span of attention is only 15 or 20 minutes. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I read in the book of Jonah back in the Old Testament when the Lord said to Jonah, Jonah 3 verse 2, Preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. God said to Jonah, I want you to go preaching. So Jonah 
before he ever got there, started preaching. I don't know if anybody heard him or not. But he said, I want to get warmed up so when I get into the city limits, I'll really be going red hot. Amen. I read where Jesus said himself, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent, Luke 4, verse 43. I would remind you that Jesus called himself a preacher. And men of God in ages past who affected the behavior of their generation were men that were preachers. I'm talking about the Wesley brothers. John Wesley crossed the ocean 13 times when it was a hazardous thing. He went up and down the eastern part of this continent holding revivals. John Wesley, what a preacher. You take the preaching of Whitfield, the preaching of Spurgeon, which turned the tide of England. You take the preaching of Billy Sunday, which affected this nation. I have a book on Billy Sunday and has a picture of him uh, preaching. And uh, he was standing by the pulpit and he had his right hand out and his left foot was sticking way back. And you could see every vein in his neck. And underneath this picture were these words, Billy Sunday's biting, blistering, blasting condemnation of sin. That was good enough to get thousands of people saved. Amen. If we had more preaching, we would have less modernism. If we had more preaching, we'd have less ritualism. If we had more preaching, we'd have less intellectualism. We need more preaching. Whenever I was younger, Whenever I, I would preach, I, I'd have a hard time controlling the saliva in my mouth. And I'd get so excited, man, I'd get out there, I'd get to preaching. I'd spray everybody on first first five rows. One night I turned around on Sunday night, I was preaching. Big juicy piece of saliva flew out of my mouth and landed on Sister Hooks' shoulder, the wife of one of our deacons. And, and, and she looked at me and looked down at her shoulder. It, it, it wouldn't dissolve. It just seemed to perch there. And she'd look at that and look at me and look down. And when the service was over, the, the choir had an emergency meeting. And they decided from then on out, they voted. And in on out, that from then on out, anybody sat on the first row of the choir, bring towels. <laughs> Amen. Well... I like preaching. I like great preaching. I like good preaching. I like poor preaching. I just like preaching. Amen. No substitute for old-fashioned preaching in our churches. That's a mark of that's a mark of greatness if you put preaching first. Hallelujah. Second big point. Give me the marks of a great church in Antioch in Syria. The church at Antioch was a soul winning church. Look at Acts eleven twenty one, And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. They got people saved. 
Look at Acts eleven twenty four, And much people was added unto the Lord. Sometimes people say, well, I don't believe the emphasis should be on numbers and try and see how many people you can get saved. Well, here's a church of which the Bible says, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And again, verse 24, much people was added unto the Lord. I don't find anything wrong with that. I think that's what God wants. I think that's one of the ingredients of a great Bible church. It's got to be that it's a soul winning church. It's a normal thing for a church like that to see people saved. Just a normal thing. Some churches not bothered with no one saved. And did you know, I even hate to say this, that over 6,000 Baptist churches last year did not win or baptize one single convert. 6,000 Baptist churches. And did you know that over 300 Baptist churches every year closing their doors every year. Lord have mercy. I'm glad we're in a church that opened its doors. The last year and a half and seeing the blessings of God and seeing people saved around here, that's a blessing when so many other churches are closing their doors. And Brother Will told me about a great big church right here on Shepherd Drive. $15 million of church uh, buildings paid for, running about 50 people. 50 people. Used to be a big church, I know. I remember what it was. Oh, I believe one of the marks of a great New Testament church is that it's a soul winning church. That's a normal thing, getting people saved. Amen. Hold my mule while I shout. Hallelujah. I sure like to see them saved, man. I do. I just, that just does something for me. Amen. Hallelujah. Third big point. I'm giving you the ingredients of a great church at Antioch in Syria. In the third place, it was a teaching church. They taught the Word of God and nothing else. Look at Acts 11, 26. A whole year they, Barnabas and Paul, assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. When Barnabas went down and saw these people getting saved, he was so thrilled, although he didn't have much to do with it. He said, praise the Lord. Barnabas said, I'm, I'm so glad they're getting saved. I'm going to go get Paul. And when Barnabas finds Paul, it says a whole year, Acts eleven twenty six, 26, they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. They just taught the Bible. Listen, I want us with God's help to teach it, to teach it and teach it and teach it like we've never taught it before.
Sunday school teacher teach the Bible. I mean, you ought to be so full of it on Sunday morning that when you get up to teach the Word of God, you don't have enough time to deliver it. It just rolls out of you. I like to hear a teacher like that. They just don't have time. They don't have time to deliver it. They're just so full of the Word of God. They've studied all week. They're ready to teach it. I've been in some Sunday school classes when the teacher got up and said, sorry class, didn't have time to study this past week. I'm going to tell you something. If I was sitting in the class like that, that would be the last time I sat there. It ought to be so full of the Word of God it just rolls out of them. They don't have, have time to, they don't have time to teach it. They hear ding, 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 ding. What was that? Oh, teacher, I was warning Bill. Just have five minutes. What? I hadn't even got through my introduction yet. I had all those big points just waiting. Lord Jesus. You know, this Bible needs to be taught. One idiotic woman by the name of Madeline Murray Nohair. She influenced our Supreme Court. I lost respect for every one of them. She influenced our Supreme Court. The Bible should not be read in the schools anymore. And brother, we're paying for it now. When our country turns its back on the book of God, then we've had it. You just mark it down. My second grade teacher her name was Mrs. Ruffin. I never have got forgotten Mrs. Ruffin. Ah. You thought you was in a Christian school. I mean, uh, you'd, she read the Bible. We saluted the flag every morning. We prayed every morning. I mean, you, it was better than Christian schools. Mrs. Ruffin. She's in heaven now, but I never have forgotten Mrs. Ruffin. Hallelujah. Wish we had more teachers like that. Acts 13.1 says, And there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets, and underline this word, teachers, teachers. There were five of them named. Five is the number of grace in the Bible. So there were... Five great Bible teachers in this one church. They concentrated on what the Bible says in teaching people. How are people going to know what you ought to, ought, to, ought to do? I mean, how are they going to know you ought to be baptized after you're saved unless it's taught in the Word of God? How are they going to know that you're saved by grace apart from works unless it's taught in the Word of God? Oh, it was a Bible-teaching church. Amen. Still with me? Fourth big point. I'm giving you the ingredients of a great church. Fourthly, the church at Antioch was a given church. Hallelujah. Acts eleven twenty nine. And the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. They heard of the great famine and dearth in the land. 
It says, then the disciples. Well, who's supposed to give? The disciples here are used in reference to everyone that believes. The disciples of the Lord, not just the leaders, not just the preachers, but the disciples of the Lord. How many? It says, then the disciples, every man, every man, every man. I believe you're a Christian. God blesses you with the income. I believe the Bible teaches it's your glorious, wonderful privilege to be able to tie the tenth of it to God. I believe God blesses people for it. I don't think you lose anything. I think you gain by giving. Amen. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, Give and it shall be given unto you. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Upon the first day, Sunday, first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. Let there be no gathering when I come. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says, God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. So the Bible teaches giving to God. Church at Antioch was a giving church. Amen. Well, God gave all to us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he, what? He gave. He gave. His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank God for that. God gave His best for us. One thing I've tried to do the last 64 years, where I've pastored and where I've preached in churches, I've tried to teach churches to have a great big heart. God blesses a church like that. If you've got a great big giving, giving heart in your church, God just performs miracles that you never would believe even happen. I've seen that over the years. We had Curtis McCarley come many times to Greenwood Village. He went to be with the Lord in 1974, and uh, oh, he, he was a preacher. He'd take a chapter in the Bible, and man, he'd break that down. You talk about preaching, Amen. Curtis McCarley. Uh, when he'd start out, he'd, he'd, he'd give you the chapter, and he'd read it kind of slow, and you'd say, boy, sure going to be dead here tonight, isn't it? But when he got through reading that chapter and started preaching and breaking it down, I mean, you heard some preaching. He greatly influenced my life. He did. In fact, one year I didn't have him come to the Bible conference and I had Harold Seidler come in his place. Me and Brother Seidler was at a restaurant there on the Humble Road and a little waitress came up and said, are, are you Brother Clayton? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you got an emergency call. You're to return to the church right now. Oh, I said, yes, ma'am. Me and Brother Siler got up and I went back to the church. 
And my wife came in and said, Brother Curtis just went to heaven. I usually had him there at the Ever Bible Conference. I didn't have him that year. That During that conference, he was hauling some old, uh, some gravel into the driveway of the parsonage. He bought an old dump truck. And the fellow said, now preacher, if you raise that load up and it won't release, get away from it, call me and I'll come take care of it. He hauled that load into the driveway of the parsonage and raised it up and it wouldn't release its load. And he had a crippled boy and that crippled boy was there too. Said he got out and Brother Curtis reached up underneath the bed of that truck. I don't know, he might have touched something. When he did, came down on killed him instantly right in front of that crippled boy. And all those years I had him come to the church, his wife never came. I don't know why I didn't make it a point to call and say, look, bring your wife. I'll pay for her plane fare. Bring your wife. I, I, didn't, I just didn't do it. A number of years after his death, I, I called Miss McCarley and I said, would you come this year to our Bible conference? We'd like to honor you. Would you come? I always wanted you to come. I'm sorry. I didn't make it a point. She just started crying. She said, I'll come. I sent her an airplane ticket. She flew over to our Bible conference. And before she got there, I told the church, and I said, now, whenever I introduce her on Monday night, I want you to stand and clap your hands and whistle like she hit a home run. I want you to really pour it on. And I said, whenever I raise my hands like I'm trying to stop you, uh, that'd be a signal to get louder. <laughs> get louder. And I said, now when I want you to taper off, I'll do this. And you'll know you can start tapering off. And we practiced. We practiced for a month. I mean, every service I, I introduced Mr. McCarl, they jumped up and whistled and clapped. And I did like this. And they'd get louder. And I'd do like this. And they'd taper off. I wish you could have been there that first night when I introduced her and had her come up and stand by me, Miss McCarley. And man, they jumped up and stomping their feet and whistling and clapping and I tried to stop them and they got louder. And I looked at Miss McCarley and a great big old tear was running down her cheek. And after a while, I did like this, and they started tapering off. We did that every night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. But I, I found out she had an old beat-up car. And Wednesday night after the service, I said, I'm going to meet all you men in the cafeteria. And I met all the men, and I told them she had a beat-up car, and I said, I want to buy her a brand new car. And Brother Bailey, our deacon and banker, was there. And we recognized the hands. I could have bought her two brand new cars. I don't know why I stopped at one. 
And I told him, I said, you, you go down by a brand new Ford and tomorrow night I want you to drive it up at the front door after the service gets underway. And if you have to run over some bushes to get it there, that's okay. <laughs> I want you to drive that car right up to the front door. And uh, going home that night, I said, I thought about his, his crippled son. I'm going to call him. I called him. I said, man, we're going to honor your mama tomorrow night. And I want you to come and be here. Would you come? He started crying. I said, I'm sending you a ticket right now. And he flew over and he was there for Thursday night too. But I had Miss McCarley and her son to come up to the platform. Man, Man, you talk about the whistling and clapping. and I did like his and tried to stop him. Hey, it's got louder. And then after a while, they tapered off. And I said, uh, Brother Gray was there and another preacher on the platform. I said, hold this, uh, this blanket in front of them. I don't want them to see what I'm fixing to do right now. And I reached underneath the pulpit and, and, and I got a picture from the dealership of that new Ford. And I said, this is what we got for them right outside the door. And more than that congregation went, ooze and ahs. I said, take that blanket down there. I want to show them what we got for them right outside the front door. And they took the blanket down and they saw a picture of that new Ford. They just cried. I, I, I tell you what, I didn't think we was going to get through the service without the Lord coming back. I saw grown men never cry for years. I saw them crying in that service. And, and I don't know, I heard that Miss McCarley, Ollie and her son uh, sometimes would sing in a service. I said, would y'all sing us a song? And they said they would. You know what they sung? And sinking ground, he lifted me. I thought it was all over then. I didn't, I didn't see how they'd get through the service without the Lord coming back. I thought it was all over. And after they sang the song, I said, Now, now we're going to have prayer, but I want Ollie and her son to go out first and see the car. And I had deacons take them out. And uh, then I called on somebody to pray, and then I ran out the front door. I wanted a ringside seat. I, I wanted to see. I told them, I said, now, all you women, when you go out the front door, hug Miss McCarley and put some money in her hand. She's got to have some money to get that car back to South Carolina. And I said, I want all you men to hug his son and put some money in his hand. They're going to have to have some money to get that car back to South Carolina. And uh, so we had prayer, and I went out, and I stood at the front door, and there was at least 13 or 1,400 people jammed in that old auditorium that night. And nobody was in a hurry. 
I saw them come out one by one. The women hugged Miss McCarley and put money in their hand. And uh, the men hugged Brother McCarley's son and put money in his hand. And the last person out was Mrs. Hancock. Never will forget it. Miss Hancock went over and hugged Miss McCarley, put some money in her hand. And then she looked over at me. And she came and stood right in front of me, and I'll never forget what she said. She said, Preacher, what in the world can we do next? She got caught up in the greatest beatitude that it's more blessed to give than to receive. She said, Preacher, what can we do next? You know, that's what I try to teach churches. Over. I, I, want our, I wanted our church to have a great big heart. And he said, I had to pray it in every week. That's why I'm white-headed. <laughs> but he took care of it. I mean, every week he'd take care of it. God blesses a church that has a great big heart. Don't ever forget that. Fifth big point. I'm giving you the marks of a great church at Antioch in Syria. The church at Antioch was a missionary church. You remember when Jesus was about to leave the world, he said in Acts 1 verse 8, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Now, Jesus said in this verse that you should be a witness at home and abroad. So a New Testament church must be a missionary church. And notice how this church at Antioch was a missionary church. Acts 13, 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said. Now, here's a church that's waiting upon God. Uh, here's a church that's close enough to the Lord that God could talk to them and the Holy Ghost could say something about what they were to do. And so many churches that are so finely organized, so many committees, so many boards, so much of a program that the Holy Ghost never gets to say anything. Here's a church that the Holy Ghost could talk to. The Holy Ghost said, verse 2, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they sent them away. And here's a church at Antioch becoming a missionary church, sending people to other regions, to other people. Amen. Notice the kind of missionary work it is. First of all, this missionary work was the work of the Holy Spirit. This was the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, I want these two men to go on this missionary journey. 
Secondly, it was a result of prayer. And thirdly, these missionaries were responsible to a local church. Acts 14, 27, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. As a missionary church. Some of you may remember Brother Wayne Glenn. He was a missionary that came out of our church. He, he was a pilot. He'd fly down to Honduras, Central America, and help those missionaries. And one time while he was down there helping those missionaries, the Lord said, I want you to be a missionary too. And that summer we put up a, every summer we put up a big tent on the parking lot and had a revival. And that year we put up a big tent. I preached every night for 30 straight nights. You do that now, it'd kill everybody. Kill them right on the spot. I preached every night for 30 straight nights. And the last night, Brother Lynn had his little old car. Man, he had it loaded. He had his little family and it loaded down with everything he could put in it and on top of it. And they was leaving, going to Honduras. <laughs> and he said, Brother Clayton, I want, would you come down there and, and, and help me a little while? I'll tell you the truth, I didn't much want to go. But he insisted, and I knew the Lord warned me to do that. And I, and before I went, I told the church, I said, look, I'm going to go down there and spend a week with Brother Glenn in Honduras. And I said, would you give me $2,000 in $100 bills? And the church said, okay. I flew down in, in uh, Tegucigalpa there in Honduras wasn't a very big airport. You had to fly over a freeway to get to land. I thought he was going to hit one of them cars. And Brother Glenn was there to pick me up. And, and when I saw him, I hugged him. And I took a $100 bill and folded it in the palm of my hand. And I took his hand and I said, Thank you, Brother Glenn, for picking me up. And we went to his house that night. They didn't have any electricity, just had lamps. And she made some of the best bologna sandwiches I've ever eaten. Boy, it was good. I got through eating that bologna sandwich, and I got another $100 bill and put it in the palm of my hand. I reached over to Brother Glenn. I said, man, that sure was, was a good bologna sandwich. Shook his hand and had a $100 bill there. And that week, every time he'd do anything for me, I'd shake his hand and have a $100 bill in it. Man, he got to where he wanted to shake my hand. In fact, some of the missionaries even wanted to shake my hand. And then he, flew me, he took me back to the airport. I was going to fly back home. I had a $100 bill left. I shook his hand and I thank you for bringing me to the airport. 
That was a wonderful week when our church just had a little part of blessing, missionary blessing to one of our missionaries. Ah, hallelujah. Years after that, every time he shook my hand, he'd smile. (laughs) He'd smile again. Well, number six, I'm giving the marks of a great church at Antioch and Syria. It was a praying church. Look at Acts 13, 2. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, as some people in the churches said, we want to do without something to eat. We want to wait upon God. We want God to bless our church, to bless this work to the extent that we're willing to go without food. We'll wait upon the Lord and fast and pray. Acts 13, 3, when they had fasted and prayed, they were a praying church. Acts 14, 23, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting. No wonder people were saved. No wonder missionaries went out of that church. No wonder a lot of miracles took place. I'm going to tell you something. Very little praying going on today in our churches. Very little praying. Number seven. It was a harmonious church. I'm surprised when I began to read and study about this church. It was a harmonious church. You read up in three different chapters here in the book of Acts. The church at Antioch, you read about that church, you never read one time about a ripple or any difference among the believers. That couldn't be said about the church of Jerusalem. Well, one day there was an argument. As a result of it, deacons were elected. But the church at Antioch was a harmonious church. They worked together. I don't think I'd call any church Harmony Baptist Church. First time you had trouble, you had to go out there and change the name of it. Disharmony Baptist Church. I had a preacher tell me over in Atlanta, he said, Preacher, I want to show you there's a Baptist church over here. They call it the Free for All Baptist Church. And he showed me another one called the Compromise Baptist Church. I don't think I'd call any church the Unity Baptist Church. First time you have trouble, I'd go out there and change the name of it, Disunity Baptist Church. And I told Greenwood Baptist Church, if you don't behave and get right, bless God, I'm going to go out there and change the name of it to the Deadwood Baptist Church. <laughs> Amen. Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Listen, there's nothing more that the old devil likes better than to bust up a Baptist church. Amen. 
Well, I usually have seven big points. Would, would you forgive me if I had eight big points? In the last place, I have to I gotta add this one. It was an independent-minded church. You say, how do you know that? Well, the Lord was blessing the church at Antioch. Many people were getting saved. But the church at Jerusalem, where thousands of people had been saved before, was having some problems. And some Jews came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and said, we want to tell you people something. All these people that are pretending to get saved, they're not saved. Notice Acts 15, 1, they said, except you be circumcised, you cannot be saved. Without works and ritualty, you cannot be saved, just can't be. Church at Antioch was up in arms and said, I don't care if you think you are the mother church and headquarters at the church of Jerusalem. The Bible says in Acts 15, 2, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. And finally the church at Antioch said, I think Paul and Barnabas better go up to Jerusalem and tell those people the straight of it. In Acts chapter 15 it tells us they went to the council up at Jerusalem and told them, these people were saved by the grace of God. Amen. Plus nothing, minus nothing. In so many words they told them not to meddle with it anymore. They didn't have a mother church. They didn't have any headquarters. There's one tie between believers in the Bible and that's fellowship in the Holy Spirit. So let's look at it again. This New Testament church was a preaching church, a soul-winning church, taught the Word of God. It was a giving church, a missionary church, a praying church, a harmonious church, and an independent-minded church. And my friends, with all my heart and soul, I pray, oh God, Give this church all these ingredients that make up a local New Testament church. Amen. I stand with our heads bowed. I want to pray. And then we'll have an invitation hymn. Lord Jesus, thank you for these wonderful verses in the book of Acts that tells us about this great church at Antioch in Syria. And gives us all these ingredients that make up this great church. Lord, help us to have some of those ingredients today in our church, in our churches. And Lord, we'll thank you for it. Lord, maybe there's someone here tonight that's never trusted you as Savior. Help them to do that tonight unashamedly. Or maybe there's some that need to move their membership right here at the Arise Baptist Church. Lord, have your will and your way in every heart. For we ask it in the name of Jesus and for his sake.